missed the fellowship, especially on those day mornings. Um, there is just no place that I'd rather be on a lost day morning than to be here at Bensham. It is always so sweet to remember the Lord together. The saints that do not know you and that you do not know, they pass their greetings. Um, when I was there, um, the pastor actually was instrumental in my salvation. Uh, he was talking about me, we were talking about spiritual things. And then he asked me to preach. And then afterwards, he was like, oh, I'm glad they're looking after you. You're still holding on to the things that you're taught. So I owe that to everybody. That has been encouragement to me to continue in this work. As Andrew has said, we continue uh, our studies. And my portion is the last chapter of uh, First Timothy as we conclude uh, the first part of these epistles to Timothy. Uh, my portion really starts from verse 3. I am going to read um, uh, from my Bible. You can follow if you want. First Timothy chapter 6, uh, reading from verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, Whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great, great, is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hateful lusts, which drown many in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many arrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the fight, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all living. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot and repugable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only had immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man had seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the, laying, in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold 
of eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. And as always, we trust that the Lord will bless the public reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord and our Savior, we are just here as students seeking, O Lord, to be taught by thee. Help our hearts, help our ears, help our minds, Lord, that we may capture these things, Lord, which are spiritual to the benefit of us and our eternity. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, we pray. Amen. As we come to the close of this particular chapter, these writings of Timothy, let us also understand how God um, operates in these communications. We see here that Timothy is addressed personally here by Paul. The Apostle Paul has been dealing with quite a lot of things previously, how we conduct ourselves as employees, how we conduct ourselves with um, elders in the church, and so forth and so forth. And now he addresses um, uh, uh, Timothy uh, specifically in this particular passage. And one thing that we should understand about the way God has chosen to do his things is that, one, he doesn't consult us, he does his things because he is God. And he has chosen that he communicates to us through these various means. If you look at the Bible, to somebody who is not spiritual, you look at the Bible, you may read it and you may see it as a history book because it's got some historical facts on it. And as we read the Bible, some of these communications, we can see that he, there are communications that are between two people. And, and, and to, to, to perhaps academically look at that, we may think that, okay, we are just picking into a conversation to us to people. Because say, oh, this is the Apostle Paul that is speaking, speaking to Timothy. This is not how God has chosen to do his things. God has chosen these various mediums that, are, that may concern two or more people or general instances of life to communicate to us those things. So when we even see these communications that are between two people, God has chosen him in his divine wisdom to include these things. We as New Testament believers, we receive the Bible in its entirety, right, as the 66 books, as the given word of God to us. Now, we were not there throughout all the processes that God went through to give us this word, but he has preserved his word in its completeness as is as we receive it, and we receive it as unto us. So when we read passages which concern maybe directly two people, and it seems like a conversation to us two people, it's God's choosing for us to be part of that conversation, to communicate to us, and it is upon us to then learn from those conversations. It is not for us to say, oh, this is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, and therefore it doesn't matter. It has been a little bit of a, I could say, a dark dot during my holidays when I was conversing with some of the people that I came across, that there seems to be this encroachment into Christian um, understanding of the Bible that some passages, well, this is the Apostle Paul who is just misogynistic and old-fashioned. Oh, Apostle Paul, he wasn't married, so he is just him. This is just his opinion. Oh, this is Apostle Paul. He's just talking to Timothy. So it's just a conversation to us two people. Oh, they are good maybe for adverse for us. To take. No, th th that is not how we look at the Bible as Christians. 
as Bible-believing Christians, when we look at, when we see these conversations, these conversations are the authentic word of God speaking unto us. We don't have an option to choose what we like and what we do not like. God has chosen to give us, to give us the Bible as we see it today, and we receive it. We are the recipients of it without choosing. And we accept the teachings that are therein as the authentic word of God. And it is really a challenge to the authority of God for us to put ourselves in a position to say, oh, these parts are for us. These parts are not for us. We are really challenging God to where, in other words, we are saying to God, you know what? Actually, we know better than you. You have put this part, but this part really isn't for me because actually I know better than you, God, which I think is a very, very dangerous territory. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm ranting here. It's because some of the things that I, I came across and they impressed on me, and I just wanted to get that out of the way to say, okay, we are looking at a conversation here that is between the Apostle Paul and Timothy, but this conversation is for us. This is God speaking to us. We are not going to try and choose the past that we like and the past that we do not like. So what we see here, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Now, that word doctrine is a very, very big word. Now, we don't even have time to talk about these things. But what is Apostle Paul saying? He is talking to Timothy as he concludes this writing. He's saying to him, look, there has been a lot that has been covered. In fact, actually, I would, I, would, I would suggest to you that this is also true of every part of the Bible. The completeness of the Bible, the doctrine of the Bible, is the complete teachings of God as handed down to us as we see it in his word. But in this particular instance, I'm going to say, okay, looking at these particular things that the Apostle Paul has covered, the Apostle Paul is eager to urge Timothy to understand the totalness, the fullness of the things that have been taught. Now, one of the things that we as Christian believers, um, we are taught to understand about the, about the scripture is that this, we are not in an age as New Testament believers of do's and don'ts. So now, Israel in the Old Testament, they were very slow to grasp these things. So God had to reinforce, had, 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 had to fence them, right, by giving them certain rules of do's and don'ts. Now, I don't know what it's like here in the English culture. When I grew up, when I was a little boy, there were some things that, certain rules that um, our parents gave us. For example, they would say, don't eat from a kitchen knife. Right? They'll say, if you eat from a kitchen knife, you are going to have a side pain. Now, scientifically, biologically, really, that, that, that doesn't add up, does it? It, it? it doesn't. But behind that don't, what they were trying to say, what they were protecting us as kids, because then kids would like sharp things, would like to cut out sharp things, knives, like to play with knives. But they were trying to protect us to say, you will cut yourself. Okay? You are not mature enough to handle a knife. So don't play with knife. So they all this, don't walk backwards, you will have boils. 
We, they used to tell us that. So as children, we wouldn't walk backwards because, oh, we're afraid of boils. We know boils. We knew about boils. They were very painful. But you could see that actually what they were trying to tell us is that it is dangerous to walk backwards. You're going to fall. So we had a lot of these things. So God in the Old Testament, he would list these do's and don'ts sometimes without explaining to, 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 to Israel. Because as God was dealing with his people, they couldn't appreciate some of these things, right? Some of these things that were spiritual. They were very tangible people. They were very physical people. And God had to give them physical laws to help them to get to the spiritual part. But now as New Testament believers, we now get to, to be spiritual children of God. We are now the children of Abraham. Not because in our blood we've got DNA, we've got Jewish DNA. That is not the point. We are children of Abraham because we are now spiritual children born by faith into God, which was the foundation of the relationship between God and Abraham. As such, we can claim to be the children of Abraham. So now when here Apostle Paul talks about the doctrine, he is talking not about the do's and don'ts. Because how do you deal with 21st century issues today? How do you deal with 21st issues today that were not there in the first century? God knew that there will be instances where believers are going to live in an age where there are things that he cannot talk about then because they're not known. But God's word is equipping us to be ready for those things. So when we talk about doctrine, we are talking about those instructions that God has laid down to us. And he's saying to Timothy, understand them so that you can discern the things of right and wrong in your everyday life. If we do not understand the doctrine of God, if we don't understand the doctrine that is taught in scripture, no wonder we are going to be tossed to and fro with all of the latest uh, things that come. Do you remember the Toronto, Tor Toronto blessing? I remember the Toronto blessing because it was really, really, really at the peak in Zimbabwe when I, when I got saved. It's kind of a new thing that just came up and just swept over the place. I don't know if it came here in this country, but it was a big thing in Zimbabwe at the time. But, and people just get carried away because people didn't go to for themselves to examine these things, to understand how God operates. There are things that we can know as believers about God that we can look at things and we can know that this thing is a don't. Now, if I say to you, open me to me, open to the Bible and try and find out those things, tell me exactly how should you do. I may not be able to, to point you to a particular verse that deals with television and cars and whatever, or aeroplanes. I cannot bring you to a particular verse. But when we know the doctrine of God, when we know the teachings of God, when we are armed or equipped or informed in the teachings of the Bible, we will be able to relate everyday instances. And I think I am not exaggerating when I say to you, the scripture is equipped to deal with every single aspect of life that you may find yourself in. There is no instance that you can encounter you today as a New Testament believer that has not been encountered before, or that the scripture does not have something to say about it. And I say this as somebody who has been saved since 1997. And I know that there has not been a situation where I found myself bereft from scripture on any particular instance. Maybe the reason why sometimes we do not know how to do or discern some of these things is precisely because we do not know the doctrine of God.
But the Apostle Paul is very passionate about these things. And he's going to talk to, to Timothy to be very careful and understand these wholesome words, the doctrine of the things of God, which is according to godliness. Now, once again, what is godliness? Now, if I say to you, give me a definition of godliness from Scripture, you'd have to start from Genesis to Revelations, isn't it? Again, these are big things. I mean, he's going to talk a, a little bit more. We're going to touch this, uh, on this a little bit more uh, when he lists uh, other, uh, other issues again um, along with godliness. But here, the Apostle Paul, in just one verse, he has encapsulated a very fundamental and important things to understand as believers. The doctrine of God and godliness. If we are guided spiritual on these things, we will be in a far better position to deal with issues of life. Now, one of the issues here that we're going to look at, that Apostle Paul is going to address. Now, he says that if any man teach otherwise, he is proud, knowing nothing. The Amplified Version, when... I brought with me my Bible that I bought when I got saved. My sister preserved it. And to me, it's, it's, it's not in good shape, but it reminds me that this has been a busy Bible. And uh, it, it brought back memories. As I, as I was preparing this message, I went back to it, and I went back. It's the Amplified Bible. And it, and, and it brought up some of those things that, 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 that I missed. So it made me actually to dig out this Bible. This Bible is a parallel Bible. It's got the King James and the Amplified side by side. So I had to dig it out because it brought out, again, those things that I had missed all along. The Amplified said, he is puffed up with pride and stupefied. I think I like that word. He is stupefied. Plainly speaking, he is stupid. People who look at the doctrine of God, the things that are in the, in the Bible, and contradict these things, if they teach differently from what has been taught from the first century Christians, they may say so because we now can make iPhones. They may think we say so because we now can make aeroplanes. And they may think those of old, of the first century, they didn't know anything about aeroplanes. We know better. What does scripture think about them? They are stupid. There is no doctrine that we can learn today in the 21st century that is new. If you hear something, if you hear somebody, including this speaker in front of you, telling you a new thing, I'm going to bring you a new thing. Your antennas should rise up. Because there is no new thing. There is nothing that we can teach today in the 21st century that hasn't been taught already before. What we are doing really is just discovering some of these lost truths and gems that we've just ignored or maybe had not give us, given ourselves time to dig into. And we now we're discovering them afresh now and we think they are new things. They've been there and they've been known all along. We were just too lazy or we didn't have time to dig enough. So there is nothing new. So here he says to you, these people, they are stupid, doting about questions and strifes of words. Where of cometh 
envy, strife, railings, and evil surmising. Now, James talks about wisdom. This is one of the things, maybe because I'm getting old now, that I really find myself asking a lot from God. If ever you have been engaged in a, in a witnessing encounter with somebody who is obviously not a, a believer, we need wisdom. We need wisdom because you find some people that will bog you down wrangling about this word and that word. Now, there is a truth sometimes in a word in scripture that we handle the word correctly when we do expository teaching that sometimes a word can make a difference. So it is important that we handle it correctly so that you convey the correct message. But sometimes there are people that will be caught up in a word for argument's sake. In most cases, that is because they already have a conclusion. They already have an agenda. Right? And they have just picked out words in scripture. For the life of me, I listened on Radio 4. People trying to interpret homosexuality described in scripture. Now, as Christians, we don't care what sin you have been involved in. God accepts anybody and everybody. But we are God, we're just going to say this. We can't reinterpret those things. There is no background that you can give to those things. Scripture has been consistent since Genesis to Revelations. Now, we, know, we don't say this with hate towards other people. We don't say this with, with, with singling them out or anything like that. It is written. God is not going to change things. It doesn't matter how much culture. So we can be bogged down trying to, oh, the word effeminate, what does it mean? Or oh, those who are effeminate, what does it mean? Scripture is very clear on, this, on these teachings. And it's not going to change. It doesn't matter what, how we now interpret those words today. We can be bogged down by people who are just afterwards to prove a point. Because why? What comes out of this? It only comes out envy, strives, and railings. We just end up being arguing about words. But the truth of God is not in just isolation of words. The truth of God is in the complete teaching, the doctrine that is taught against scripture. Scripture. If we look at one word that is in one particular sentence, in one particular verse, and we lose sight of the overall wide teaching of scripture, we end up erring with those people because we end up at each other's throats because this word means so in Devele. This word means so in, in Hebrew. This word means so in English. And this word means so in French. We end up being bogged down in all these words and we miss the doctrinal teaching of what God is conveying to us. We ought to be wise and we ought to handle scripture properly and we understand that God's teaching to us, he has chosen different characters of people to teach doctrine. He has, he, has, he has chosen different circumstances. And the reason for that is because God is trying, not trying, God encompassed 
different aspects in different areas so that we will be able to be covered in all our areas that will be associated, associated in. Therefore, we cannot just dive into one word and strive and fight and fight and fight over one word. The doctrine of God is much wider and bigger than that. We ought to understand the full. This is why we need, I, I believe we do have Bibles in our homes. We need to have Bibles in our homes. Why do we have Bibles in our homes? Because we need to read Bibles when we are alone in our homes. Why do we need to read Bibles when we are alone in our homes? Because that is when we discover for ourselves the secret thoughts, the secret messages that God wants to convey to us. Speakers that speak, we thank God for people who take the platform to teach to us. But what we are giving you is what God has blessed me with. God can speak to you with Psalm 22 in a specific situation that is specific to you or that I do not know of. There is nobody who is going to then come and read for you Psalm 22 to interpret it for you in a specific situation because I don't know your specific situation. But our God is a God that speaks, right? And therefore, it is upon us, incumbent upon us to then read for ourselves so that God can speak to us individually. We can address some of these things broadly from the platform, but we cannot address every single instance in our lives so that we know what God is talking or is saying or what we should do with a particular circumstance. This is doctrine. There are some things that I have read in scripture that I cannot preach here on the pulpit because I know that God has spoken to me directly. They're not for me to share. Next time you're going to be somewhere in Timbuktu or wherever, Sid won't be there. Maureen won't be there. Les won't be there. And you're going to be faced with a situation that otherwise Sid and Maureen and, and Les would help you with. What are you going to do? There are shenanigans out there. Honestly, there are all sorts that are out there. But we need to read the Bible. We need to know the doctrine of God on those things. My time is gone. But godliness with contentment is great gain. These people, they suppose that gain is godliness. This is their definition of godliness. To them, what is the token of somebody who is godly? When they take, when they take the platform, what do they preach? It's success. And what kind of success? Oh, scripture does talk about success. But what kind of success are they talking about? These people, they are consumed. They have erred in the understanding of things of godliness. They think that godliness means possessions. Are you hearing this for the first time? You would have thought that these things were written in the 21st century. Just turn on God Channel TV. And you see some of these things. 
These people, they believe, they think that if you are a child of God, then you should amass wealth. This is what they teach. You should amass wealth. The son of God had no place to lay down his head. Now, we are not, pro we're not, we're not therefore saying that Christians are going to be in poverty. Well, that's, not, that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying. In fact, on the contrary, I would argue that godliness, right, comes with it wisdom. The more godly you are, the more you are wise. Not, not, I'm not talking about wisdom of this world. I'm talking about God's wisdom. And when you have got God's, God's wisdom in you, you are going to make good decisions. Whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in your workplace, and good decisions, normally, good godly decisions, naturally they would result in good outcomes. In the sense that if you are in a position of authority in a work environment, and you, you'll be faced with decisions. Now, nobody knows what the inflation is going to be in 2026. 20, nobody knows, right? But with God's wisdom, I'm not saying you are, you are able to tell the future, but I'm saying you are able to look at circumstances with a God-filled mind to bring about a sound judgment out of them. And from a sound judgment, naturally, comes good results, which naturally can result in side benefits. Employers, to be honest with you, in the in the business, in the in, in the private sector, they, 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 they don't care. They, they don't care. Well, most fair people, they don't care about skin color. They don't care. They want results because what they want is is a bottom line. They just want bottom line, right? If you if you pro if 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 you deliver, naturally speaking, now I'm, I'm no I'm kind of like strange. Naturally speaking, you are going to get promoted because if if your if your decisions are wise, are godly, naturally that is going to bring about good results. And when they when you bring about good results, your employer is going to notice that. And naturally that comes with its side benefits. Now I'm not saying this is like one plus one is equal to two. I'm not saying oh because of this so therefore you're going to be promoted. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying this the, 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 these things they've got the, godliness is such a vast issue that covers both private, public, and spiritual life. And you never go wrong when you are godly. In the sense that when your decision is a godly decision, you never go wrong, even though sometimes it may mean a temporal suffering. So these people have identified, have identified godliness as, as a, the token of godliness as amassing wealth. This is not what is taught in scripture. This is not so. In fact, on the contrary, what we see in scripture is that there is quite a lot of suffering. Now, it may not necessarily be just amassing of wealth. It might be, oh, godliness is that means that things are going to go well for you. No, that's not what scripture, that's not what scripture teaches. It, it doesn't, Godness, oh, therefore your marriage is going to work out. Godness, oh, therefore you're going to um, um, have a good job. Godness, therefore you're going to get a good house. That's not exactly how scripture works. But this is what these people have interpreted godliness. But what is godliness? Godliness is contentment. And that is great gain, is profit. Now, I am still learning this decades after I have been saved. 
to be content. If somebody has attended that, please talk to me after the service because I would love to be content. Now, I am speaking honestly with you. What this tells me is that I still have got a measure of growing to do in the things of the Lord. I look at the Apostle Paul. Honestly, take a start of the Apostle Paul. I mean, I don't, I'm not talking about the Lord because people say, oh, he's God. Okay, look at the Apostle Paul. There are some men of God or women of God that have attained, that have grasped these things and understood them and lived them out. And you can see it in them. And if I am guilty of envy, probably that is my sin. I would love to be content. As long as I have railment, clothes, covering. By covering, when the word here is covering, it can mean more than just clothes. It can mean just a roof over your head and food. Why? Because we brought nothing into this world, we will take nothing out of it. One of the things that we should always remind, that at least I constantly remind myself, the things of this world, they are for this world. We are not people of this world, we are people of heaven. And the things that are of this world, they are not fit for heaven. So we are going to leave them. If God would have thought these things are actually fit for heaven, he would have made a mechanism whereby when believers die, they take their wealth with them. But because these people are so earthly-minded, they think this is the end of it all. They think this is their kingdom come to them. Their eyes are so focused in this world that they miss the fact that we are not people of this world. If we truly understood that we are not people of this world, to be honest with you, you would understand that in your everyday dealings, actually, whatever it is that you can acquire and amass in this world, it's not going to last for eternity. It's not for you to take for eternity. These are just temporal things. These are just things to keep you going. But they are not things that are, going, that, that, that are going to consume our lives. Verse 9. But they that will be rich. Now, now the Apostle Paul is going to talk about those that are not rich now but desire to be rich in the future. In fact, the Amplified says, those that crave to be rich. Now, like we have said, not all Christians are lacking materially. God has blessed Christians. There are Christians who have got quite a, 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 a lot, have amassed a lot of wealth, right? There is nothing sinful in itself, as scripture will see later on, right? There is nothing wrong in, in, in of itself. But these people that are craving to be rich, these are people who are pursuing richness have become the center, the object of their affection, has become the center of their lives. They are going to pursue it at all costs and literally at all costs. And we see what happens, what happens to them. They fall into temptation and snare. 
Have you seen a gambler? Have you ever spoken to a gambler? Those are, I hope there are no gamblers in, in, in this assembly. Those get-rich-quick schemes. Now, I won't, I won't find you a verse here that says do not gamble. But this is, again, what we are coming back to how do we apply doctrine. Those get-rich-quick schemes. You know, God, what do, you know what God decreed? Every man, with the exception of nobody, shall eat of the sweat of their, of thy, of their brow. Now, to try and live any other way is trying to violate that commandment. We, you will have to work hard. You will have to work hard. Unfortunately, there's no shortcut to this. I know you hate reading books to students. So those are students you hate reading. It's just, that is just God's method. We, we just have to work hard. Work hard is a principle that is given by God. Now, I say this as somebody who is disappointed in some areas of society that we live in here. That we think that we don't have to work. We think that we can live actually without working. God has, to, I mean, I know there are circumstances where people cannot work for themselves because they are physically incapable of working for themselves. God is very compassionate. We, there's always that provision for people who can't provide for themselves, that we've got a responsibility over them. But otherwise, for everybody else, for anyone else, it, it, we, you don't eat, you don't You don't work, you don't eat. That is, not a, that is not a worldly saying, by the way. It's a biblical teaching. You don't work, you don't eat. Because that is the way, this is the order that we are in. That sin has brought unto us. And therefore, God has set this order for us. We just have to work, guys. There's no way, uh, dear friends. We just have to work. So, but these quick, get-rich-quick schemes are trying to, to avoid that law. You're you are trying to, to get to the end without going through the process to try and shortcut things. I don't think that is what the scripture teaches us. Those gambling schemes, I don't think... That's what scripture teaches us. They fall into temptation and, and into many foolish and hateful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now people are bankrupt, have had their families and marriages destroyed because of gambling. We know that it is a plague in this nation. If only people would take scriptures and read and see what scripture teaches us. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, money in of itself is not the root of evil. Let us make that differentiation. We need money. We need electricity on. We need money to pay for this electricity. We need money for everything to just get by, right, to survive. We need money. Scripture is not against money in of itself, but it is the love, the craving love for money. When all our lives are are obsessed and are concerned with getting rich, that is where the problem comes. Because that is where all our energies will go into. And in the end, we end up in destruction and uh, perdition. But thou, O man of God, I'm trying to write as fast as I can here. What, if, what, what a title for Timothy to be called a man of God. I mean, I don't, 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 I don't want people to call me a man of God, but I would want my Lord to call me a man of God. I, I would want when the Lord looks at me in my life, he would call me a man of God. I would like this title for myself. No, I don't, please don't call me that, but 
personally as somebody who is, who is failing so much in the things of God, somebody who is struggling in my, in my work, seeking to be like Christ every day, falling and getting up, the Lord getting up and falling again, I just desire that I would attain such a title. Flee these things and follow after, again, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Now, do we have enough time to talk about righteousness? No, we don't. Do we have time to talk about godliness? Have you read about King David? Have we read about Daniel? Do we have time to talk about faith? Do we have time for Hebrews 11 this morning? Do we have time for, to talk about Abraham? We don't. Talk about love. Do we have time to talk about love? Do, have you read 1 Corinthians 13? Do we have time to talk about those things? Patience. Have you read about Job? Do we have time to talk about those things? Meekness. Have you read about Philippians chapter 2? Do we have time to talk about these things? So, script, you can, you can have a sermon on every single one of these things. This is what we talk about the doctrine of God. Because these are the things that are encapsulated. This is in contrast to those people. This is talking about us. These are the things that we should be pursuing. These are the things that we, 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 we should be digging into scripture to find out ourselves. What does scripture require of me when he wants me to be meek? What does scripture require of me when he's talking about patience? What does scripture require of me when he's talking about godliness? When he's talking about love and all those things? What is scripture talking about? Philippians chapter 4, you know, one of the most instructive verses, I mean, scripture is instructive. Vision chapter 4, one of the most instructive, what does it tell, what does it say to us? You know, whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise in all of these things, scripture says, think on these things. Now, you see, scripture is not listing the do's and don'ts there, but it's giving us a picture, it's drawing a picture whereby we can fit ourselves into them and ask ourselves, this thing that I am doing today, does it portray me or does it portray purity? Does it portray loveliness? Does it portray patience? Does it portray all these characteristics? And this is what the apostle is talking about here. I'm just going to have to skip here. Verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. Now, the ones that we're talking about were those that were aspiring to be rich. Now, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about those that are now rich, are already rich in this instance. That they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things. That we. The first thing that we should notice is that we have what we have because God has given us. If we understood that, we would understand that we don't, we don't have to consume these things upon ourselves. After all, they're not ours. They are given unto us by a generous and kind God. And if they're given to us by a generous and kind God, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. This is what I talk practical Christianity. 
Now, this is one of the areas that uh, challenge me every day. Sometimes even at my workplace, I ask myself, what is expected of me as a Christian? Practical Christianity, it's easy to come here this, on, on a morning such as this and sit on the pews and we all sing hymns. I tell you, the real, real, real challenge as a Christian is practical Christianity that is out there. What do we do when we see a need and you have as Christians? Now, this is real Christianity, not coming to church. Now, let me not even talk about, now, I hope I'll be careful how I say this. Let me not even talk about your, maybe a stranger, maybe at a workplace, or maybe your neighbor, or something like that. What about in our families? When in our families there is a need, who meets that need? As a Christian, is it the government that should be meeting that need? Now, maybe I'm old-fashioned. One of the things I think have been regrettable in society here, I'm going to finish in the next five minutes, is that we have been taught individualism, even within our families. I think there was a story that I read of a woman that died for more than a year. More than a year, nobody knew that she had died. More than a year. Now, does she not, did she not have children? Did she, did she not have a brother? Did she not have a, a sister? Did she not have a, a, a cousin? Did she not have a niece? Did she, not, did she drop from the sky? How can somebody die for more than a year and nobody knows about it. How is that even possible? But this is the society that we are brought up into. We go to college, we get our degrees, we get our good jobs, we move out of our families, we live our own independent life over there, we have everything that we need, we drive our Porsche cars, but our loved ones can't even put on electricity within our families. Now, one of the things that I think perhaps we who live in Western society might benefit from maybe third world countries like where I come from, we look after our own. We look after our own. We sacrifice for our families. My mother would never be taken to a home. Now, I'm not trying to talk to anybody in particular. But in our culture, my mother would never be taken to a home, home care, whilst the children are still living. It would be one of the reasons I got married later. I'm, I'm talk, I, I talk freely because they're my brothers and sisters. One of the reasons why I, why, I got, why I got married late is because I just couldn't leave my mom, who had dementia, to be taken to a home. I had to look after my mom. I didn't think that was a responsibility of the government. I didn't think it was a responsibility of somebody else. It, is, it was our, my sister left her job. I said, look, leave your job. Look after mom. I'll pay for your children's school fees and all that. Now, I'm not trying to blow a trumpet. But what I'm trying to say is my sister couldn't leave her job and look after mom at the same time. She didn't have those resources. But I had little resources. But from the little resources that I could, that I had, 
I could share with my family. I could, I could say, sister, look after mom. I'll pay for your school fees. I'll pay for your rent. I'll pay for your electricity. I'll, I'll pay for your food. I didn't have much, to be honest, but I could do that. Now, let's be ready to distribute. This, 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 this accumulation of wealth is, 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 is just tools that God puts in our hands for God to help us to meet the needs that are in the world. We are the vehicles. We are God's representative. How is God going to provide for the poor? God can, but hardly would he send an angel to provide for the poor. But he has you and me. We are God's angels here. And it is our responsibility to do that. I tell you what, let us pray. Father, we thank and bless you for you are a good God. You are kind unto us, Lord. We thank you for your word that is teaching us every day. We know that just within the 15, 30 minutes or 45 minutes, Lord, of looking at your word is just not enough. But may it be a wetting of our appetites so that, Lord, we'll go in our homes to dig onto these things and to learn of them for ourselves so that we may know more about you and we can hear more about your voice. We thank you, Lord, for the refreshments that we're going to have together and the meal that we're going to enjoy together as a family here at Bisham Coastal Hall. Bless our conversations as we ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I am way over time. My excuse is I'm from Africa. Just have to forgive me. Thank mm -hmm. you.